Good morning, everyone. I pray, trust uh, you uh, have had a nice break from me. <laughs> Brother Chris's uh, lessons were great. In fact, um, I've had a couple of requests to, to take his segment about the rapture and, and uh, pre-tribulation. And uh, I'm, I'm get, I have several flash drives coming in. So if somebody wants those... And, Maybe he just wants a group of uh, any of the lessons that we've taught. Uh, I will load up a flash drive for you, and you're welcome to take care of them. So, but it was a nice, concise review, so it was really good. But today, we're moving into the next segment, and it's, uh, we'll f in fact, we'll finish out the book of 1 Thessalonians in this, with this lesson. And what I'd like to do is uh, uh, start with uh, uh, verse 12, and I'm going to jump from uh, 12 and 13 down to verses 23 and 24, key verses. So, verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, that you know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then verse 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. Thank you for the blessings of your word. Father, I thank you for these lessons that keep us focused on, on what we need to understand is the eminent return of Jesus Christ. And Father, that we can share the gospel with our, the lost and dying world, many of our friends, co-workers and family, that we be active in, in sharing that warning that they can avoid the wrath that God has coming for them by accepting Christ as Savior. Father, I thank you for the boldness that you give each one of us. And I pray, Father, that this, these series of lessons will embolden us even more to realize that we are, are the, the most fortunate people in the world when we have Christ as our Savior. Father, now I do pray that these lessons and these, as we go through this, this lesson, that they would be your words, not ours, that they would glorify you and not try to build man up, but Father, that they would glorify you and point people toward salvation and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Well, Paul starts off uh, with, with a series of, of commands, and it's very interesting, and I don't know how, uh, I didn't check through the student book, but the lesson kind of starts out with, a question of how many of us have been accused of being a backseat driver? <laughs> My wife will raise her hand real fast. Yes. Well, is there really anything? <laughs> Isn't that part of the the, uh, the the wives' qualifications in there? Yeah. But okay, since most of the wives raise their hand, guys, when the wife is driving, how many of us tend to backseat drive? Or do we, or do we just grip? Yeah. Well, we've we've had a couple. You know, some of us might stomp on the floor when a break's supposed to be going on. 
plan. But you know, it, when when you think about it, but a backseat driver really is a safety mechanism. At least in my case, <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you, but you know, so we don't realize really how much influence we do have over each other. We kind of look out for each other. I mean, when when a when the driver's driving, they're concentrating on driving and trying to find out what's going on around them. You know, the driver, of course, in in our car's case, my wife very seldom sits in the back seat. Although there's a few times I do get to escort her around, but uh, uh, but she looks out and sees things that I might not see, like you're about to hit that curb, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, it, it happens, I think, to the best of us. But, you know, there's a positive aspect to it. But, you know, most of us always see the, the bad side of that. But, you know, in reality, uh, we love each other and we lo we're looking out for each other. In reality, what's, what, what a backseat driver is doing. Although there are a few people that I don't care who they are, if, if, you ri if, if they ride with you or they will tell you how to drive whether you want to want it or not and oftentimes it's like you know you want a, a piece of masking tape and just take care of that person or just crawl in the back seat go to sleep just ignore it but that's not what the apostle paul is is really trying to to get across here he does not want to be the back seat driver but he does want to present uh, to the churches and he has basically a manual for how we need to be, be act as a church and, and with this we we have uh you know some some commands that paul is laying out here and really they're his concerns for for the church and you know the, the so when, when we think about this he's concerned about the leaders and especially with the churches he's establishing you know what do we have here in in thessalonica well, a church that established only after about three weeks of preaching. And when, when you think about this, it, it was a young church. And it was formed relatively quickly. The believers, when we were talking uh, uh, about the people that made this church up, they were from some of the Jews, some of the Gentiles, some of the uh, women from the, uh, I guess, elite class. But they were... Uh, a very big mix of people and they were all new believers and as I was going through here it says the new believers were on a fast track to continue the teaching of the Apostle Paul and establish the New Testament church and in fact uh, some people established this these section here as how a gospel church should really be uh, be established and Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus about qualifications for church leaders. And they're very familiar to us, but we're going to read them. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 6 says, This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. So that kind of tells us that most leaders should be married, right? Some churches, though, advocate, 
you know, the leader will not be married. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Verse 6 is, not a novice, lest being lifted, lifted up with pride, he fall into the combination of the devil. And then over in Titus, uh, uh, chapter 1, of uh, five through nine, and there's some other areas where Paul's laid this out, but these are the, the most specific. It says, for this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things which are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husbands of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as have been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainslayers. So we have the guidance laid out. You know, of course, he gave that to, to Timothy and Titus, and that's how most New Testament churches establish their leadership. But here we have the leaders in Thessalonica. Well, guess what? They're novices, aren't they? And, and that was very important. Of course, well, maybe back then everybody was a fast learner. What do you think? <laughs> Can you imagine how we would be if three weeks after we were saved, we're starting up a church or we're being picked to lead churches? I know when I was first uh, asked to be a deacon, it was a lot of years after my salvation. In fact, I think it was close to 20, 25 years. Because in my military life, I was moving around a lot. I was at sea a lot. So I was not a good candidate, even though some people would say, oh, yeah, you'd be fine at it. I said, well, I'm not going to be here. I go to sea. And, and it was a regular routine. And so for years, I, I wasn't there. And then later on, you know, once I retired and was in a position where I wasn't going to sea all the time, wasn't traveling, that I was asked to be that. So here some 20 years in. But can you imagine that these churches, these people that were put in these positions, they came from among the group, the, the people that were knowing them. And when you think about some of these new members, or the, the new leaders, they knew most of the congregation. They were known to them. And, the, you know, and they were seeing these people now in a different light. And, it, and it, I, was, I was studying this. I thought of, well, when I was in the service, and uh, Brother Chris can uh, kind of attest to this, is, as you make rank, you move into different levels of leadership. And people look at you a little bit different. But when I made uh, chief, I went from wearing dungarees and a white Dixie cup. They don't have that anymore. Or, well, they do, but it's not like that. And stepped into wearing khakis. Now, everybody wears khakis in there, so there's no real differentiation. But it was a definite difference, a step from being, so to speak, the worker bee into middle management. So I was looked at differently. Even though I was one of them once, as soon as you put the khakis on, all of a sudden, you're one of them. And that's how a lot of people see them. So you're one of them. You're no longer one of the other guys 
And oftentimes, people that see somebody step into a leadership position often look on them differently. Oh, that guy now, he's, he's going to be even worse. You know, boy, look at him now. Boy, his head is really big now that he's the leader. And all sorts of things can come out when people would think about that. And many of them had issue. More than likely, it was probably jealousy. Well, why didn't he pick me? Why wasn't I asked to be in this position? Well, we go back to those qualifications laid out there. Maybe some of these people didn't fit into that. Not, it's not that it's a mold, but it's one where you're looked at differently. And it's how you approach things. You look back in the book of Acts when they ordained the first uh, deacons. They asked for it. They were people that were temperate. They were sober. Look at Stephen. He had a passion for the Lord. And, of course, what happened? He was stoned for that because of, of what his, what, how he taught and believed. People were jealous of him. And oftentimes that's what happens. But the Apostle Paul, he's, he was being made aware of, of the situation and wanted to make sure that he says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So his, this position, it was not a simple position, you know. Uh, Pastor, when you decided to be, take on a church, did you figure, I'm going there to make, make my riches and retire and write books and get to tell people what to do? You know, that thought crossed your mind? No. <laughs> you probably didn't realize at the time what kind of long nights it's going to be, how you're going to have to literally get out of your own personal person and become a counselor to be maybe have to admonish somebody where you really didn't want to do that and and it's it's difficult when, when a person's in that position maybe they're going to counsel somebody in, in an area that really is uncomfortable for them but they ask the lord to guide and direct them but you know what the apostle paul was wanting these people to do is to know the leaders and understand that this new position that they're taking on was not an easy one it didn't mean that they changed and didn't love those people anymore. It just meant that they were now going to be expected to do more. And the, so it was hard work, and it wasn't for the lazy or unmotivated, and, which is sad. You know, he, he, he wanted to know them in, in, in a way that, that they're not an authoritarian, although we do know people that go into those positions be, that do become authoritarian. You'll do it my way, or there's the door. You know, and there, there's some people that all they hear from the pulpit is railing on them and telling them how worthless and horrible they are, and then they wonder why people still stick around. You know, I don't, I, I wouldn't stay in a church very long if that's all I heard. But the Apostle Paul is, is saying here that, you know, back like back in First First uh, Corinthians one uh, eleven thirteen, for it had been declared unto me of you, my brethren. By them which are in the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and of Apollos, and of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided as Paul was Paul crucified for you, or were we baptized in the name of Paul? You know, he asked those questions, and, and I'm sure he ran into this 
regularly, but here it's being brought up and being in reference. Uh, Hebrews 13:7 says, Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And then over in uh, verse 17, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul, as they have, uh, as they mu that that must give account, that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. In other words, those in leadership, they care about the people that that are with them. They they want them to learn. You know that's why here, I'm glad that we have so many people that teach, that care for each other, that come up and and, and are willing to pray with you. And what, what he's stressing here is that they need to know the leadership, but what they were having, and it's been pointed out, that there were busy, busy bodies amongst them. You know, and, and we're going to see some of that in, in the second Thessalonians. But second Thessalonians 3.11 says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. And, and back in... Uh, 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 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, verse 11 it says and we that study to be quiet and to your own business and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so often there are uh, some that tend to object to any teachings that come their way well I've been studying the Bible for years and I, I don't agree with that I'm fed up with that or they'll find every reason in the world to resist what the teaching is well, maybe they should stop and look at themselves. And, and of course, here you've got young believers. And I think some of this was based out of, out of jealousy. But like it says, you know, in, in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians, that, that there were busybodies and some that didn't work. So when there are people that aren't working, what do they have? A lot of time on their hands. They get to be thinking, well, you know, I've been thinking about what he said. And, of course, they start always making little comments to other people you know I don't really agree with that you know it's it kind of like brother Chris and I were talking this morning how false doctrines can get started you know people read into something or I don't like that teaching I want to I want to do it this way you know so maybe they thought well I'm as educated as that person why wasn't I picked or I know more than that person so I'm not going to put up with it and any number of reasons could could be there why that person is but you know the real problem is they don't understand the position or maybe they're not willing to study like they should I know I find if if I get lacking in my studying all of a sudden my heart starts to get a little hardened in some areas and I start looking at political news a lot <laughs> and it kind of influences my thought pattern and when my wife and I agree that we're going to watch that for a while <laughs> or listen to it and start replacing that with the word of God, all of a sudden our thoughts are a lot better. You know, yeah, we should be praying for our leaders of our country. But truly, we're missionaries here, as Brother Chris pointed out. And, and I think that needs to be reemphasized to us, especially with things that are going on that we don't agree with. Well, Probably that's what was happening in, in, in Thessalonica. There were some that were there that just said, 
I don't agree with that. I, I don't. And rather than going up and sitting and talking with the person, they probably started a confrontation. But it, it, it's important. This is not knowing the leadership leads one to make unfounded judgment, such as the leadership were only in the position for prestige and notoriety. And when the real person, when the real reason is they were there to serve the Lord. And when people come into those positions, it's even more important to realize why was I even asked into this position? Because I'm sure most of them didn't petition. You know, hey, here's my resume. You know, I want you guys to consider me because I have this vast education. Oh, I was a Pharisee in this uh, this other church over here, but I listened to the Apostle Paul, and I have Jesus in my heart now, and I think that I'd make an excellent leader of this church. Uh, I don't think that that was happening. I'm sure there was, and and who knows how long after uh, they were, the 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 Paul left that they actually started establishing the people probably was immediately but the people that were put in position they were looked at in a very short period of time like I said they were on a fast track they were trying to establish a church and get the word out and in doing so yeah it was going to create some friction but they needed to honor and esteem them so so that you know to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to realize that they didn't choose that position they were sought for that position because of how they presented themselves how they showed the love for the Lord how they maybe they did have good teaching skills and maybe that's what they looked at you know because it talked about when the Apostle Paul was pointing out in, in, in Corinthians that there were eloquent speakers and they, like he said more eloquent than him you know, he was, he was the very, I'm going to get right down to it and tell you exactly what needs to be said, and we're going to move on. Then there were others that eloquently told them the exact same thing. But it, it you know, it's, it's like one guy said, it, you know, telling you where to go and making you feel good about going there. And, you know, there, there's some people that just have that ability to be able to speak. And, and that's what they look for. But the importance of respecting a person uh, in leadership and this is from one commentator. It says, leads, leads to peace within the church. And that's what they're, they're talking about in uh, verse 13, that there'll be peace among themselves. And it says, here they wanted to know them not in such a way that, um, that they're going to be meddling in their affairs, but they would understand their position. You know, they're not to be cold and distant. Well, you know, he's the leader. The pastor, or he's the bishop, or what titles put on him? He's a deacon, and what? Oh, you know, we we can't be seen with them because we just don't feel right being around them anymore. Well, that's not what the apostle Paul was trying to point out. We need to know them, and that's what I'm so thankful here that within this church, regularly, we fellowship in each other's homes, and there's nothing uh, that would cause us to not want to go to somebody else's home and you know it's it's we understand each other we understand the positions and so they don't want to be cold they don't want them to be ignorant of their needs or indifferent to them they should not regard them as a distant man or a stranger among them in some places it's it's uh you know the pastors put themselves on on a different level uh 
you always read some of the different stories of old. I, one that comes to mind is, uh, uh, I think, the movie Pollyanna. I don't remember you've seen that recently. And there yet you had a preacher that was wanting to do what was right, but yet they had, I think she was her Pollyanna's aunt or whatever. I just know that she kept telling him what he was going to preach. Says, you're going to preach on this. And he's like, finally, I think he told her, no, this is what we're, I'm going to preach on. And kind of set her back on her heels a little bit. But she put him in a different position and tried to make it, well, you can't go tell him or talk to him. Some people do place themselves there, and, and it's so sad. But, you know, it says uh, people are not to be obtrusively intermeddling with the businesses of the minister, telling them what to do or finding out what, you know, what things are going on with him uh, and shouldn't meddle any more than they do with somebody else. And we were warned about that a little bit earlier, to mind your own business. But it's important to know is there a need in that? You know, they should seek to personally be acquainted with them, make them their confidant and counselor in their spiritual troubles. Because if some, if you put somebody as being distance, you're not likely to go to them if you have a concern. I love the fact that we can go to pastor and say, Pastor, I have a problem. Would you pray with me about this? And we can pour our heart out. We can, in fact, I think we could go to probably anyone in this church with that very same request and say, would you pray with me about this? I know, I don't think there's anybody here that we haven't done that with. And we don't feel that there's a, a lacking or a distance. And they, they should seek his friendship and in, endeavor to maintain all proper contact with him. It, and, and it's so important. If there's a need amongst us, or if pastor has a need, we, we do what we can to make sure that that happens or find out how can we help. And, and I'm thankful that we can do that here. And that's what Paul was stressing with the people in Thessalonica, that, that they not feel that this person is a distanced person or don't make yourselves feel that he's different from you. They should go uh, so far understand him circumstances and as to know what is requisite to make him comfortable and should be on such terms that they may readily and cheerfully furnish what he needs. You know, they're to know or regard him as their spiritual leader and ruler. But that's the beautiful thing about somebody in that position, to understand them. And leaders that, that are in that position that are human beings, that make themselves available, make themselves that they are a friend, somebody you are willing to spend time with. You know, and, and it says uh, not to be strangers to the place where he preaches the word of life and not to listen to his admonition, admonitions and reprove them as a stranger, but as those of a pastor and friend. And that's really what the Apostle Paul is trying to point out. He says, yeah, these people have moved into a different level. They have different responsibilities, maybe added on to what they're already doing. And our pastor here does a part-time job. And he's able to, to mix his time. And it's important. And, and that's why, you know, as the Apostle Paul was trying to point out, what needs to be done to make sure that we can hold that person up, you know, to know them and to hold them in esteem, to hold them in, in, a, in a, a level 
you know, of respect. And so it begs some questions with this, that respecting the leadership of the church, this is how might recognizing and respecting church leadership affects a church's ministry? I've got some canned ones up here, but what do you think? You know, recognizing and respecting church leadership affected church's ministry. Any thought? Well, it's going to result in prayer, which is going to result in peace. Result in prayer and peace, yes. You know, and, and in doing that, you know, God's going to bless the church. If, and it's, if you really think about that, when there's peace within a church, God does tend to bless that church a lot more. You know, and with peace, it gets a good testimony. You know, people that visit it, some people can come in and they can tell if there's animosity in a church and find out if there's not a peace. You know, some churches, there's a definite click when you walk into them, and you can see that. You know, we, when we were in uh, Virginia, uh, we were a Tabernacle Baptist. Yeah, it's a church of about three to 4,000 people. And I was impressed. We visited for, for a bit, and then um, I think we became members before I left. Um, but Dr. Bell the, knew who you were shortly after you visited. And he made sure he visited you. And you go there, yeah, there were groups that met with each other, but a church that large, it was a very friendly church. And like here, we're not a huge church like that. We're a very friendly church. And people realize that. You know? Along with that, obviously the pastor would be encouraged. And you think you're free to be able to uh, minister instead of dealing with power struggles? <laughs> but, you know, so we think on those, you know, and that really, those really say that there's, you know, a peace amongst the people. Anybody have any other thought that might fall right in, in with those? Lynn? Yes, spiritual growth. That that is, I mean, really, that's what the church is there for: is to grow us while we're here on this earth. And as we grow, everybody around us grows. We become stronger and bolder witnesses as a result of that. We don't rely on, you know, others to do the work that we need to do. Everybody shares that. So on the other side. What might happen to peace within a church if people don't recognize and respect their leaders for the ministry they do? <laughs> what would you think to that one? Brother Charles? They're going to demand their own opinions. Yeah, they're going to demand their own opinions. So which, you know, in some ways... Make their own church. Yeah, they'll make their own little church. And that's the danger. A lot of churches... Um, and there's some that might be successful, but there's groups that have their little cottage groups. And those can be dangerous if they're not monitored. Some churches, that's how they, they function. Oh, we have, you know, our little, little cottage prayer churches and this and that. And that's what they become, individual little churches, because this one person might be teaching this, this person might be teaching something different. And when you look at it collectively, it's not the same. You know, so the leaders might become resentful. That's one thing that might come out of it. Another, people might fight amongst themselves. You know, so we, we see a problem there. 
and people might mistreat the leaders and one another. And that's, you know, I've been in churches where um, pastors want to be friendly and they want, you know, almost to the point of where they're um, allowing people to disrespect them for what they do, expecting them to do certain things a certain way, when in reality, the, the people don't look at that person and it's not to make him a stranger or build him up or anything like that, but there's a certain amount of respect that's do that. But yet, there's, there's a way in which he can be friendly, that that person can be literally a counselor to that person. And it, it, it makes it so the peace is there, so people aren't resentful of that person or realizing that, that well, you know, I have as much education as that person does. I should be in that position. When in reality, maybe God didn't want you to be in that position because of that attitude. And, and it's so important, you know, and, and we say it a lot. Here, I'm so thankful for this group. That it, that it is a, a, an organism that loves one another, even though maybe some can't be here on a regular basis. But we don't treat them any different. Some churches, if you're not there each and every day, you know, you're not allowed to be in part of certain things. But it's important. Some people can't make it to every service. And to understand maybe they're not able to do that for health reasons or providentially hindered for, for whatever. And it, it's so important that we look at, at leaders the way we should look at them. Hold them at a different level, but yet they're friendly. Not hold them distance. They're not strangers. And, and just create that peace that's there. And it's a, the peace amongst ourselves. And evidently, there was a bit of that going on uh, in, amongst, in Thessalonica. Thankfully, here, we don't have that. We do see it in amongst churches around. We need to pray for people. that we, some, some people that we know might ask us to pray for them. Not give us specifics. That's the one thing we don't want to know is specifics. Hey, maybe they're having a problem and we can pray for them. And that, that's, that's so important, that peace amongst us. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much for the blessings that you give to us. Father, I'm thankful for the peace that you give to each and every one of us that we're able to share and to show your love. And may it just show forth through us. May that testimony be such that we love Jesus Christ. He's head of our church. That he really is not a stranger. And he does stick closer than a brother. And Father, I pray that that's how we treat each and every one here. And Father, if, if there is uh, any that might have a problem with that, I pray that they spend a little time asking you to give them wisdom, give them direction, guide and direct in that area that they can be restored and we can see full peace in that whole area. And Father, we thank you for this and we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.